Heavenly Father, thank you for today, for providing my every need and giving me the strength to make it through. I pray that I listen for your voice today and cast all my worries on you. Help me to see others through your eyes and notice the opportunities you have for me. Let me love others as you do, forgive and let be. Please take away the anxiety and stress that I may trust and rely on you and rest. In every moment of every day, may I open my heart to you and pray, asking you not only to meet my needs, but how I'll serve as the Spirit intercedes. Thank you for being with me, even in my darkest days, and forgiving me for wronging you in so many ways. Help me to pray for better or worse, but most importantly, to always pray first. When Johnny was a young girl, she realized that God had created her for a special reason, for a special purpose. She had received Jesus as her Savior and Lord at a, a middle school youth camp, but over the next few years, she'd have a holy discontent. And that holy discontent in her heart was about her prayer life. She had felt that her prayer life resembled the prayer life of American dreams. God, give me this. Bless me with that. Bless me with a good-looking boyfriend. Will you, you get me through school and get me into a good college? And if you can throw a car in there, I would really appreciate it. So finally, one day, in the spring of 1967, Johnny prayed this prayer. She said, God, do something in my life to jerk it right side up, to bring me closer to you, because I'm living it all wrong. In three words, her prayer was, God, change me. Well, she graduated from high school, and a couple weeks after high school graduation, she and her sister were swimming, and she was on this raft, and she jumped off the end of a raft, not realizing that the water was just a few inches deep. Her neck snapped, and on that really bad day, in the summer of 1967, Johnny Erickson became a quadriplegic. As she sat in the hospital, as she lay in the hospital, she was at an intersection. To her left was her, her past, so many great things that were there. And to her right was her future, and it looked bleak. She had to make a choice. Would she choose bitterness, or would she choose to trust in God? that God was going to bring beauty out of these ashes was an easy choice. She chose bitterness. She prayed these words from her hospital bed, God, what kind of tyrant would do this to a young girl? If this is the way that you answer prayer, you will never be trusted with one of my prayers again. Over time, as she was in that hospital, her, her heart started softening, and she realized that God didn't cause that to happen. In fact, it was a freak accident, but that if she chose and chose well, she could trust in God and He'd bring something out of it. He would do something with it. Later, she would say these words, God's plan wasn't my plan. His plan went further to a place in my heart for a deeper healing. Quadriplegia pushed me into the arms of Jesus. Last year, Johnny Erickson Tata celebrated, celebrated, she says, 50 years of life in a wheelchair as a quadriplegic. She's also a breast cancer survivor. She's a, an acclaimed 
painter, an acclaimed vocal artist. She's also a published author, and she runs a ministry called Johnny and Friends for which tens of thousands of people have received Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And her story came today as I was putting this, this weekend's teaching together. Her story came together into my mind because I started thinking about what she had said about her wrestling match that she had. She had a wrestling match internally to struggle to, to surrender her will for God's will, and she had a wrestling match with God. Is he really a good, good father? In the end, she claimed, yes, he is. So often in our lives, guys, when we pray, we pray for good things. The Bible says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. But get this, sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says no to healing. Sometimes He says no to bringing that person into our life. Sometimes He says no to, to that job because He's got a bigger, grander picture that we've got to trust. You see, prayer is not about conquering God. Prayer is about surrendering to God. And if you get anything out of our teaching this weekend, it's that. Prayer is not about conquering God. Prayer is about surrendering God, surrendering our will for God's will. To be asking for those good things, but understanding humbly that He is God and He has the right to override what we ask for. Martin Luther once said, prayer is not conquering God's reluctance, but taking hold of God's willingness. Well, God's got a lot to say about that as we hit week three of our series called Pray First. It's in this series in which we are looking at seven prayers, seven people who prayed some pretty dynamic and powerful prayers. Week one and two, Pastor Bob introduced us to a prayer from Paul to the Ephesians and Hannah, who was praying for a child. This week, we're going to land on a prayer warrior named Jacob. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32, and let me set the scene for what's going on. In fact, before I set the scene for what's going on, pretty exciting. Pastor Bob is in Israel with 47 Cornwallers. They are watching us right now. So at the count of three, we're going to do a loud and thunderous shalom, okay? Here we go. One, two, three. Shalom. There you go, Bob. Shout out to you. Yeah, pay raise coming. Okay. I'm not selfish. All right, Genesis 32. Here's what's going to happen. I need to set the scene, and I need your grace on this scene setter. I need a long, uh, I, I, I need to, to do a longer scene setter because I got to cover about seven chapters in this story before we get to the real story today. Genesis 25 to 31 really sets up the story. We got to understand things in context. When we put the Bible into context, we don't misapply verses, and that's important for us today. So give me grace on that. Here we go. About 4,000 plus years ago, God shows up to a guy named Abraham, Abraham and Sarah, and he says to Abraham and Sarah, you are going to have a son and it's going to come through Sarah. Now, they were very, very old at that time, and sure enough, God's word comes true. They have a son. His name is Isaac. Isaac grows up. Isaac grows up. He meets a gal named Rebecca. Rebecca becomes pregnant, and she's pregnant with twins in the womb. And some of you moms who have handled the multiple pregnancies in the womb thing will get this because she's in so much pain, and the boys are doing this all the time. So she goes to God and says, what's going on? I, I, this is killing me. And he says, here's the deal. You got two boys in your womb, and those boys are going to be separate nations, and they're always going to be at odds with each other. And oh, by the way, the older is going to serve the younger. That's important in our story today. A couple things about Hebrew culture, a couple things uh, about uh, the Old Testament. Whenever we see an older son being born, the oldest 
is going to get the birthright. With the birthright comes power, privilege, prestige, and a little bit of ka-ching. He also gets the Father's blessing. It can be given only one time. The second thing is that names in the Old Testament especially mean something. So, God's true to His Word. Rebecca has these two boys. Boy one comes out, and he's hairy. He looks like Chewbacca. His first words are probably, and as he comes out, they name him Esau. Esau sounds like the Hebrew word for hair. Hanging on to his foot, hanging on to his ankle is his little brother. And so they give him a name called grabber or wrestler. His name also has a double meaning. It means trickster or deceiver. And we may know him as Jacob. So the boys are always wrestling. And as they grow up, they're two separate boys. Esau is a hunter, he's an outdoorsman, and he is the apple of his father's eye, Isaac's eye. That's an issue because Jacob's going to have some daddy issues. That's going to play out in our story today too. Rebecca loves Jacob more than she loves Esau. Jacob likes to hang around the house. Jacob likes to, to cook and do things like that. Now remember, God has told Rebecca that Jacob's going to get the blessing, and he's the younger. Fast forward 20 years. Isaac is on his deathbed. Isaac is blind. And he says to Esau, the older, go grab your bow, go grab your arrow, and go out and get me some game. When you come back, we'll cook it up, and I'm going to give you the father's blessing. So Esau rolls out and does that. Rebecca hears this. And she pulls Jacob aside and says, Jacob, we got an issue. Here's what's going to happen. Your brother's supposed to, he, he's getting that blessing. You're supposed to get the blessing. God told me you're supposed to get the blessing. So we're going to kill a goat. You're going to dress up as Esau, and, and you're going to go in, and you're going to get the blessing. He's got a couple butt moms in there, but he's like, okay, sounds good. So they do that. He shows up with the food. Isaac asks a very, very important question. Who's this? Who's this? Jacob, the deceiver, says, it's me, your son Esau. Well, Isaac chows down. He gives him the blessing. Then Esau comes back, and he's like, okay, Dad, I got the food. I, give me the blessing. He's like, wait, what? Who? And, and then he says, oh, my gosh, I've given the, the, the blessing to your brother. And he's like, well, give it to me. Give it to me. He says, I can't. I can only give it once. And Esau says, Jacob's a deceiver. He's always been a deceiver. Esau wants to kill Jacob. So Rebecca sends Jacob to another country to live with her brother Laban. It was during that time that Jacob marries Laban's daughters, Leah and Rachel. It is not only a Jerry Springer episode, it's like the whole season of Jerry Springer. You can read it on your own. It's goofy. But during that time, the 20 years that he's with Laban, during that time, he becomes a godly man. He becomes a prayer warrior but there's still a place in his heart that God's got to work on. So God says to Jacob, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you prosper. I'm, I'm going to make your descendants more than the sand on the seashore. So get all of your stuff, get all of your servants. He's a very rich man. Go back to the country you came from. Jacob gets up and he does that. As he goes to the country from which he came, he, he splits up. His, his family and his servants into two camps. Servants and, and livestock in one camp, and he sends them forward because he knows Esau's going to come and get him. 
As he sends them forward, he has gifts and he has messages for Esau. These are from your servant Jacob. Please take these from your servant Jacob. A servant comes back and says, hey, Jacob, Esau's coming. He's got 400 men. Sucks to be you. I'm out of here. At which time, Jacob has a freak fest. And he stops and he prays. That's where our story picks up. Everybody tracking so far? All right, guys are good. Genesis 32, verses 9 through 12. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan River, but now I've become two camps. Save me. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid. I'm afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you, God, you've said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. So Jacob is in a place of great fear. He's a control freak. He's always tried to control everything going on around him. And as I said, over the past 20 years, his heart had softened. But here's the problem. He's got a dark space in his heart that's going to keep him from being the leader God was needing him to be. So God was going to take him through a struggle. He was going to take him through a crucible, a very tough time to wipe out, to rub out this blemish in his life. Isn't it funny how God forms your character in crucibles, in the crucibles of life? God does. He forms your character in the crucibles of life, those times in your life of struggle, times of pain, times of loss, times of suffering, those times when you're at that intersection, and on your left, you got your past, on your right, it's a bleak future, and you got to make a choice. These are times when God starts working on your heart. I don't know about you guys, but I want to be comforted into a transformed life. I do. I don't want to go through pain. I don't think any of us do. But God forms your character in times of struggle more than He does in times of comfort. It's the crucibles of life, those times of pain and loss and suffering, those times when your character gets real, your faith gets bold, and your prayer life gets deep. Jacob has a character issue. God has given him so many years to overcome this character issue, and he hasn't. Jacob's prayer life has been a lot of bless me, bless me. A lot of those American prayers, you know, American dream prayers, bless me, give me this, give me that. So often when I preach, I'm preaching to myself, and I'm preaching to myself on this when I have to look myself in the mirror and say, how often have my prayers just been about God, give me this, you know, Pastor Bill, Pastor Randy, and Elaine Elkins put together a prayer guide for our series. You can pick it up online, cornwallchurch.com. You can download it. You can get it here in the commons if you want. In the, in the prayer guide at the front, they talk about a, 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 and there's an acronym to help us pray, to help guide us in our prayers, and the acronym is called ACTS, A-C-T-S, and we take it from Old Testament prayers. It's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Supplication is where I always go too fast. Man, I run to, to supplication. God, give me this. God, give me that. But here's what happens. When, when, when the Hebrews would use, the, the, the Hebrew nation would use this type of 
format for praying. Supplication meant you ask with humility. Okay, God, I really do need this job, but I understand that you've, you've got a bigger picture. Your will be done, not mine. God, we're praying for this healing. We are praying so hard, and it makes sense for you to give us this healing, but we trust you because you're a good, good father. Jacob's been about the supplication, and now God's going to take him to a deeper level. You see, we're the same way too often. We want God's blessings. We want that character. We want that integrity. We want that story of change in our life, but we don't want to go through the crucibles to do it. But it's the crucibles where God conquers our heart. See, God transforms your life when He conquers your heart. He transforms your life when He conquers your heart. And when He conquers your heart, things change in your life. He does that too often and most often through crucibles. So Jacob's at this point of, of fear, and he's praying, save me, God, save me. Esau's coming to kill me, and God's saying to Jacob, you have no idea what's happening. Your issue isn't tomorrow with Esau. Your issue is tonight with me, because we got some stuff to settle. So God's going to conquer his heart at a place of desperation. Remember our main thought for today, that it's not about, or about conquering God. Prayer is about surrendering to God, verses 22 to 24. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, Leah and Rachel, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Press pause real quick. You may be saying, wait a second, I thought Jacob had 12 sons. You know, that's where we get the 12, 12 tribes of Israel. Benjamin hasn't been born yet. He's the youngest. He'll be the 12th son. And when he's born, a little bit after this story, Rachel will die in labor, and it will be a train wreck for Jacob. Uh, the Jabbok is a, a small stream by the, the Jordan River, verse 23. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Who is this man? Theologians call him a, a theophany, a God showing up in human form. Uh, other theologians call it a Christophany or Christophany, Jesus showing up in human form. I'm, I fall in the Christophany field because I think the Bible is a progressive revelation of Jesus. I think we're going to see that today. No matter who it is, it's a heavenly being. We don't know who it is exactly. Hosea 12 verse 4, Hosea writes that Jacob wrestled all night with the angel of the Lord. So Jacob is by himself. He's alone when he encounters God. He's at that intersection. And on one side, he's got his past, and his past is Esau. He's deceived him, and Esau's coming to get him. But on his future, God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to keep you. And they're buttoned together like this, and he encounters God. Times of solitude are essential, folks, for encounters with God. Times of solitude those times in which you're alone with God. They're, they're essential for you to encounter God. Here at Cornwall Church, we want you to experience God daily, and we feel that you need to carve out time each day to spend with God. And that doesn't mean first thing when, when you get up, you get your coffee, and you open your, your Bible, and you read the, the Bible in its, its original language. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is you need to carve out time daily to make God a priority. You can experience Him on your kayak. You can experience Him at work. You can experience him at school, but you carve out that time and you get alone with him. 
When I was the, the campus pastor for Cornwall Skagit a, a few years ago, I, I would drive from Ferndale to Mount Vernon. I was living in Ferndale, but the, the church was, is in Mount Vernon. And so every day what I started doing is I started shutting off my radio and turning off my podcasts and just praying. And as I would pray, I'd spend time alone with God, and He showed up so many times. Jacob is alone with God. He's in this audience chamber with God. Verse 24, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. God goes after Jacob. He comes after him. What I love about this story is God comes after him in a way that he recognizes that it's God. God's good like that. You know, think about Abraham. Abraham is a rich man. He's got livestock. He's got servants and all this stuff, and he lives in a tent. He's a nomad. And God shows up to tell him and his wife Sarah that the next time they see him, that they're going to have a boy. It's going to be Isaac. And God shows up as a fellow traveler, as a fellow nomad. Fast forward past this story, Joshua. He's, he's the number two in the, the Israeli nation. Moses is the leader. Moses dies off. Joshua is a military commander. He's a military man. And God shows up to meet Joshua as the Lord of heaven's army. He shows up to talk to us and meet with us in a way that we can understand. He does that with Jacob. And he meets Jacob as a wrestler. Jacob spent his whole life as a wrestler in the womb with his brother, against his parents, against his uncle Laban. Jacob had spent his life as a wrestler even with his wives. And now he's going to have the biggest wrestling match in his life, a wrestling match with God himself. And as I look at this, I'm like, this isn't fair. It's not fair. Jacob didn't go looking for this fight. He's not like my favorite movie. One of my favorite movies is Forrest Gump. And in Forrest Gump, you know, Lieutenant Dan's got no legs, and, and Forrest is a shrimp boat captain, and Lieutenant, Lieutenant Dan comes on to be his first mate, and it's that really bad night, the hurricane. Anybody see this movie? I'm looking, it's like, everybody's like, it's like a pig looking at a wristwatch, huh? Um, so, so, Lieutenant Dan, he's in the crow's nest, and he's up in the crow's nest, and he's, he's hunting after God because it's the night of the hurricane. He says, God, it's showtime. It's you, and it's me. And the next morning, Lieutenant Dan made peace with God. It's not that in this story. In this story, God goes after Jacob. But here's the thing. God had no choice. He'd given him time and time and time again, using great patience and mercy and love, to get Jacob to understand that he's got that dark place in his heart that he's got to surrender because God would need him to lead his nation. Hear my pastor's heart on this, okay? God's Word says that we reap what we sow. God says that, that, that He will not be mocked. He says in His Word that what's done in the dark will be brought to the light. And He says in His Word that He disciplines us, and those times of discipline are very painful, but they're for our own good because He loves us. He's a good father, and a good father doesn't want to spoil brat. 
And you may be saying, Kip, that's the God of the Old Testament. That's that God of wrath. No, those are some of the words of Jesus. All of those words come out of the New Testament. Folks, if you have a dark place in your heart, if there's a place that you don't want anyone to go to, anyone to see that if you're found out, you will freak out, don't get God to the point where He has to take you to the woodshed to overcome that flaw. And I don't know what that may be. It could be an addiction. It could be something that you're doing in the dark that doesn't honor God. It could be gossiping. Jesus says what we do behind doors and say behind doors will be said from the mountaintops. Whatever it is, we serve a good, good Father who says, if you confess your sin, I'm faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from anything, anything. There's nothing, so, nothing that's so bad under the planet that God won't forgive you. But He calls on us to reveal it. Christine Kane said these words, what you don't reveal, you cannot heal. And it's so true. God's taken him to a woodshed verses 25 to 26. He's going to overcome this character flaw. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, that would be Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. God's trying to help Jacob understand something about his character. Most theologians believe around verse 25-ish, the, the proverbial scales fall off of Jacob's eyes, and he realizes that he's wrestling with God, that he's, this is God that he is wrestling with. Now, remember, prayer is not about conquering God, but surrendering to God. All he wants is his heavenly Father's blessing, and he's hanging on for dear life with everything he has because he's been a deceiver his whole life. So now, He's so desperate, he'd rather die than walk away unchained, unchanged. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been at that point where whatever happened in your life, where the bottom just falls out? It's that crucible, and maybe the crucible was a, a man-made, a self-made crucible. You'd made some, some choices that weren't wise. You had a moral or an ethical failure. Or maybe it was just life happened. You did nothing. You were an innocent victim. And there you sit at the intersection, your past on one side, a bleak future on the other, and you got to cling to something. God wants us to cling to Him with everything we have, because when we cling to Him, we choose, we, we make that choice. You got the choice of jam it, Jesus, I'm not, gonna, I, I'm not coming near you, and, and it's a, a life of blame and bitterness, folks, let me tell you, in my experience and experience walking with a few people, those who make that choice regret it and are miserable for the rest of their lives or until they make the other choice. And that other choice is to realize is that God doesn't cause evil, that God gets involved in our lives and He asks us to make a choice. And when we make that choice, we decide to say, Jesus, I trust you. I don't understand this, but I trust you. And I know you're going to bring beauty out of these ashes. It's the crucibles of life in which God conquers our heart and we make that choice and he gives us that freedom. He doesn't force us to do that. So Jacob's hanging on to dear life. He's hanging on to life itself. He wouldn't let go until God gave him one thing and one thing only, his heavenly Father's blessing. 
He prays this prayer simply, verse 26, I will not let you go until you bless me. This is the prayer that we're looking at today. It's not that first long prayer. This is the prayer God's been waiting to hear for 40 years. I will not let you go until you bless me. That that prayer can be summarized in three words. It's the same three words Johnny prayed. God, change me. Bless me here means change me. Change me. He's at a place of prayerful desperation. Have you ever noticed that the point of heart transformation begins at that place of prayerful desperation? It's a truth. Jacob was always about conquering God for Jacob's will, not surrendering to God for God's will. And now God is in a corner, and God couldn't change him. God couldn't bless him until he broke him. And that sounds so unfair. But remember, the God of the Old Testament, who's the same as the God of the New Testament, is full of mercy, love, and patience, and mercy, and love, and patience. And Jacob hasn't, hadn't given up that dark chamber in his heart. And he wouldn't without this fight. With Jacob, there was no other way to change him. So God becomes weak to win the heart of a man. Wait, what? God becomes weak to win Jacob's heart. God becomes weak to win over a person. It's the beauty of this story. It's the gospel a few thousand years before Jesus is on the scene. Timothy Keller calls it the gospel of Jacob. God became weak so that we could win. It's crazy. God steps down from his throne and becomes man. He becomes a servant, and he would give his life as a ransom for many. He becomes weak. And when he's on that cross and he dies, the world says, we won. God's like, no, no, wait, wait, wait a couple days, because guess what's going to happen? Jesus comes up out of the grave, 500 people see him. When Jesus is on the cross, he's taking on our sin, our disobedience, past, present, and future. And as he's on that cross, Jesus is clinging to God with everything he has. At any time, he could step off the cross but he hangs on to the cross and to God with everything he has for one thing and one thing only. Not his Father's blessing, so we could get the blessing. He's hanging on to God with everything so we could get the blessing. God becomes weak so that we could win. For God so loved the world that he became weak. That whoever would believe in him, whoever would confess with their lips that Jesus is Lord, whoever would understand that the way, the truth, and the life is through Jesus, would win. God became weak so we could win. God became weak to win Jacob's heart, verses 27 and 28. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. God asks, what's your name? Remember, names have significance. It wasn't that he forgot what Jacob's name was. Names have significance. Think about this. The last time a father asked Jacob, who is this? The deceiver said, this is your son Esau. So now God is asking him, what's your name? It's a confession. When you pull back and look at the whole story, it's a confession that Jacob makes. He doesn't say, I'm wrestler. 
can't you see I wrestled you all night long? He says, no, I'm deceiver. I've been deceiving you and others my whole life. Now I want to be changed. Change me. I want to be a changed man. And it's so significant because this is where Jacob owns his false self. This is where he digs down into that dark place in his heart, that chamber in the heart, and he gives God the keys and says, come on in, shine the light in it. I want to be a changed man. I am deceiver. He owns his false self. Folks, when we own our false selves, that's when God shows up and shows us our true self. When we own our false selves, God shows up and He starts working on our true selves in ways unimaginable, and it starts with this confession. I'm a deceiver. And it's like God says, finally, son, finally, you got it right. You got it right. Now I can do something with this because your, name, your name's not going to be deceiver anymore. No, that's, he's dead in my eyes. In my eyes, you are fighter. If you look at the word Israel, sum, summarize it in one word, fighter. You're a fighter, son. Don't let anybody tell you differently. And you're my son. What I love about this story is it's, once again, the gospel. When we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, What's so beautiful is, is God gives us Jesus to live inside us. So when God sees us, He doesn't see our junk. He doesn't see the ugliness in our lives. God sees Jesus. And guess what? When that happens, the book of Revelation say we get a new name. And here's what's so cool about this story. I got I to gotta preach some other sermons on it, on the follow-on to this, because it's so cool. Here's the follow-on. He's going to meet Esau shortly after this, and it's going to be one of the coolest stories of forgiveness in the Bible. And as he meets Esau, they just fall into each other, and they're hugging each other. And I just wonder, this is total speculation, but as they hug, they, they pull back and they start talking. You know that small talk that isn't recorded in the Bible, except in the Kip James version? Um, I just wonder if he's like, so Jacob, man, oh, I've missed you. He's like, no, I got a new name. What? Yeah, my name's Israel. Get that, huh? And he's like, yeah, you're limping. What's the story? Total life change. I picture a few years later as Israel is limping in his, his place that he's living and the people all around him know him. Hey, hey, fighter, how you doing? Fighter, how are things going? Fighter, can you come over to our house? Because we want to hear you tell that story, that, t- that story when you fought with Yahweh and won. He's a changed man. And it started with a prayer. Bless me. Change me. Changed heart led to a changed character. A changed character led to a changed life. A changed life was represented in a changed name, fighter of the God Most High. Is that cool or what? Let me wrap this up. Verses 29 to 31. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. Then he changed him right there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, Peni meaning face of, El meaning God, saying, it's because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. God's saying, don't worry about me. I got you. I got you. And Israel, 
walks out of there with a victorious limp. Israel walks out of there a man of character, a man of integrity, a man of strength, a man of honor, a man of prayer, a changed man. And as I pull back to that 30,000-foot level, because we always got to do that, we always got to come back to, to look at this in its totality, I see three things that pop out to me immediately about prayer. There are probably a, a hundred things in here, but three main ones pop out into my head. Prayer is about surrender, self-realization, and solitude. Prayer is about surrender, self-realization, and solitude. It's about surrender. It's about surrendering our will for God's will, understanding that He is a good, good Father, that He doesn't cause evil, but He does discipline, and He calls on us to surrender our will for His will, because His will is always better than our will. He wants to get us to the place where we say those words that, that Sheila Walsh once said. She said, she's a, a TV broadcaster who went through a really, really bad time in her life. She said, whatever has been, thank you, and whatever will be, yes. God, whatever has been, thank you, when you're at that intersection. The good, the bad, the ugly. Not thank you, God, because you gave my kid cancer, because God doesn't give kids cancer. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the enemy. So, God, you walk me through this. I don't get it, but you're going to bring beauty out of ashes either on this side of eternity or on the other. I, I, I trust you for whatever has been, thank you, and for whatever will be. The good, the bad, the ugly, whatever will be, yes, because you're a good, good father. Prayer's about that self-realization when you're sitting in solitude and you got that piece of darkness in your heart and it creeps up at all the times you don't want it to, and you just say, God, I surrender it. I surrender it to you, and I need you to shine that light and dry up that fungus. Prayer is about getting alone with God so He can do some work. Surrender, self-realization, solitude. Well, I never want to leave you here without a challenge. Here's your challenge for this week. One word. It's called surrender. And here's what I want you to do. Every morning when you get up out of bed, or whenever you get up out of bed, if you're working the night shift in the afternoon, when you get up out of bed, the first thing you do before your feet hit the floor is open your hands and say, Jesus, I surrender all to you today. I don't know what's coming down the pike, but you do. And I ask that you give me wisdom. Wisdom and courage to be able to say, I trust you in times that make no sense. I surrender all this day. And we're going to give you a little bit of space to do that right here. What we're going to do here and in Skagit, we've got the teams that they're going to sing a very popular and, and very old as well as very beautiful hymn. It's called I Surrender All. We're going to have some questions on the screen behind me. Some of them may pertain to you, some may not. What I ask that you do is you just sit until that last verse, then Melissa's going to ask you to stand. Right now, though, you just sit and you let the band play over you. You, you concentrate on the words, you meditate on the questions and just open your hands. If there's that place in your heart, just surrender it. He's a good, good father, and he'll take it on for you. And then when that's done, I'll come up and close us. All right, Skadget, I'm going to turn you over to Pastor Brian. Thank you for joining us. We are so excited about the life change going on at Cornwall Skadget. Thanks for what you're doing. Boca Raton, we love you guys in Florida. We were envious of you with our weather yesterday. And for those of you watching us online, thanks for joining us, especially Pastor Bob and the team in Israel. Shalom. It's great having you with us again. Meditate.
and contemplate. Here we go.